scripture reading is from Ephesians 3, 7 through 21. Ephesians 3, 7 through 21. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, <coughs> he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, and to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, church family. You know, I take a minute or two to get set up here. How about if everybody stands up and greets somebody that they have not yet said hello to this morning? from the back there. Uh, that was awesome. As many of you know, I love little kids and uh, enjoy hanging out in the nursery. And all I got to say is keep them coming, guys. That's great. <laughs> These volunteers. We're pretty good in the nursery. I do know that in the, uh, the preschool, yeah, the preschool age, if you like preschoolers graduating from nursery prior to uh, kindergarten, I know we definitely need some more help in that one in particular. So uh, if you think you might be up for helping in that ministry, please see Joy Kearns, and uh, I know they could use a hand. And uh, look forward to uh, being with you guys today. This is very exciting. Love looking at God's Word, 
And uh, let's see, make sure I, I'm functioning okay here with the uh, remote. We're gonna try this. I know I don't have to point it anywhere in particular, Dan, but I think I do need to turn the power on first, probably. That always helps. And I thought we are looking again at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. Thank you, Bill, for reading that for us this morning. Thank you, Derek and music team, for preparing our hearts. That was wonderful. This is a little odd today. I don't know what's going on, but for some reason, we've got more of the people in the front of the church than the back of the church. Usually it's the, usually it's the opposite here. Uh, obviously, nobody knew I was speaking today, but uh, look forward to uh, looking at God's word here. Last week, for those of you who missed it, uh, we were looking at the same passage. We're going to take a look at it again. And uh, a word that occurs over and over and over in uh, the book of Ephesians, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, is the word power. And so we're taking a look at this power from God. And uh, I regretted afterwards not having uh, an extra slide just with some of the summary uh, that we had there. And this thing's still not working for me, Dan. I got the power on this time. I got a little light on. Let me turn it off and turn it back on. I'm doing up, I'm doing down. There we go. Oh, 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 oh. There we go. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so again, we were looking at power, and really we were contrasting this power from God that the follower of Christ has through the power of his Holy Spirit, this power that we have, and we're contrasting it versus worldly power, or what I also like to think of as transient power, it's temporary power. And when we take a look at you know, worldly power, we looked at physical strength, we looked at political power, we looked at power in business and financial power. We took a look, uh, you know, another type of power is an influence and influence other, over others. A lot of times people can be on a little bit of a power trip and wanting to control others. And so that's, uh, you know, that's a type of power that's here, it's in this world, it is passing, it is going away. And in contrast, this is the power that is described in Ephesians 3. And maybe I could have split this up between two slides. We talked about this, I kind of glossed over it, and I thought, well, maybe I should outline it again just for us for just a moment to recap. But this power is an enduring power. This is an eternal power. This power is vastly superior to any power that we could possibly have in this world as far as a worldly power goes. Uh, this power, as described in Ephesians 3, it is from God, first and foremost. It gives us understanding by allowing us to see the grace of God we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. One thing I should add, by the way, you know, we've been talking a lot through Ephesians here about <clears throat> this wonderful grace we have, <clears throat> who we are through Christ, and how that's now going to, when we take a look at the last three chapters of Ephesians, how that's going to impact how we act. One thing I probably have not talked enough about here, and as you go through Ephesians, we see it, is this is for God's glorification. I mean, yes, it's for us, but through it, we are glory, bringing glory to God and his name is being exalted, and we're going to take a little bit more of a look at that in just a moment here. Uh, this power from God, it strengthens us, and not in a physical way. Uh, for nothing in this passage is speaking in the physical sense, but talk about power. If you ever take a look at Voice of the Martyrs, for example, you know, these people who are willing to die for their faith, uh, to be unwavering in their faith, 
in the face of massive persecution, that's an incredible strength that goes beyond intellect. It's just amazing what the transforming power of the Holy Spirit does to the Christ follower. Uh, this power, it also allows Christ to dwell in our hearts. It enables us to have faith in him. And again, this then becomes, it's more of a vastly more than just an intellectual understanding, but a heartfelt uh, understanding to the deepest of our core. Uh, backing up from verse 12, which is not a part of this one section we looked at last week, but uh, it allows us to approach God with freedom and confidence. It gives us understanding of the incredible magnitude of Christ's love for us. You know, again, it becomes a heartfelt, deeply rooted understanding, an understanding, again, that runs past the, just the mental. It satisfies us. You know, so often people are chasing the things of this world, trying to find satisfaction in life, trying to find joy in life. But this power through the Holy Spirit brings us a satisfaction that can be found nowhere else and in nothing of this world. And it blesses us through it. And so I think we would all agree that this power is infinitely better than any sort of worldly power that we might possibly achieve here and now. And so when we take a look now as far as, well, what are we going to tackle today then? Again, we're going to be taking a look at the same passage, but we're going to take a look at it from just a little bit of a different angle. You know, we could spend all sorts of time on this uh, portion of Ephesians chapter 3. But what I thought we'd take a look at today, maybe this is a little bit of an ambitious undertaking here today, uh, but I thought we'd take a look at the Apostle Paul. You know, what do we learn about him from Ephesians chapter 3? You know, anytime as you go through the Bible and you're reading scripture and you're studying it, it's so awesome just to take a look and kind of do character studies along the way. And, you know, hey, who are the characters in the passage, you know? Uh, <clears throat> what do we see in this person, or this person, or this person? What do we see in the writer, which is what we're looking for in this instance? <clears throat> and then last but not least, certainly, you know, how can we apply it to our own life? We want to be talking about application at all times. We're also going to take a look at Paul's prayer that he has in this chapter as well. And last but not least, we're going to talk about his upward focus. And uh, I'll explain that more in just a moment. And I'd say, I mean, can we agree that Paul led an incredibly effective ministry, right? I mean, after all, he wrote how much of the Bible? He wrote uh, 13 books, 14 if you count Hebrews. Uh, I looked it up on the internet, and it was interesting. Somebody did a word count to see how much of the New Testament did the Apostle Paul write. And uh, he wrote 28% based on word count. That's if you count the book of Hebrews. It's unknown for certain who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's 24% if you exclude the book of Hebrews. So here's a guy who wrote just an incredible portion of the New Testament, incredibly effective in his ministry. So isn't this somebody that we want to be learning from and how we might be able to apply that to our own lives uh, as we're during our limited time that all of us here uh, have here on earth? And if we take a look, I think we're just going to kind of chew on this together here. And uh, hopefully this Bible doesn't tip over. This, this one uh, music stand here is a little precarious. If you see me wobbling, it's just me trying to read a wobbly uh, scripture here. But why don't we start at verse 7, which is where we're starting today. You know, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And we see this here, we saw it in verse 1. You know, how does Paul uh, view himself as a servant? And we saw from verse 1 
Uh, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He views himself as a servant. Um, you know, what do you think of when you think of a servant? You know, uh, one image I have, you know, you think of a servant, and, you know, I picture the Rockefellers or the Vanderbilts sit around a formal dining table with a zillion people all dressed in suits and ringing a little bell, and then the servant comes and brings them more food or something like that. You know, in this world, we have, you know, somewhat of a negative connotation in a way, like it's a bad thing to be a servant. Uh, it's a bad thing to be a prisoner. Yes, in this world, it certainly is a bad thing to be a prisoner. That means you did something wrong, right, if you're in jail or something like that. Um, but here we're talking about something else. You know, here he's talking about being a servant of the gospel. The gospel is the word of God. Uh, we know, you know, from John, you know, and, uh, Jesus Christ came as the word. Uh, and so here he is just expressing his servitude to our Lord and Savior. And, uh, you know, we're not our own. We know from 1 Corinthians, you know, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives inside you, whom you have received from God? You were bought at a price. We we're all bought at a price, at a steep price, that price being Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed for us. And it's, uh, it's actually, I think there's no greater honor in the planet than to be ser servant of the Lord. I mean, if you're going to serve somebody, who do you want to serve, you know? You want to serve man, or do you want to serve God? And I love the artwork that we have this morning done by Elisha and Silas. So neat seeing those row of kids all lined up here in the front, watching their parents lead music today. Uh, I'm looking forward to the day. It's not going to be too many more years, Derek, wherever you are. And we're going to have the uh, Pack family band up here, I'm sure. And that's going to be fun. I look forward to that. But here you look at their artwork, and they've got a guy sweeping a floor. And guess what? His mind is on other things. You know, he's, he's looking forward. He's looking ahead. Uh, you know, I think he's looking forward to the, the prize, the future that he has in heaven. And, you know, this to me kind of screams, you know, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it with all your heart is working for the Lord and not for man. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And it goes on to say, because you know you'll receive an inheritance as, uh, from the Lord as a reward. And uh, so whatever we do, just having that servant's heart and knowing that it's Christ that we're serving. How about what else do we see from verse 7? He recognizes that the grace that he has from God is a gift. He refers to it as a gift. Uh, it's the work of God. It's not his own. You know, we cannot earn it. I'd say that he has a spirit of thanksgiving as we take a look at this here. You know, he's recognizing that, hey, it is a gift. It's not an, on account of anything that I've done. How about verse 8? Uh, Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles and uh, the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, he refers to himself as the least of all God's people. Um, you know, he, he refers to himself also elsewhere in Scripture as the apostle that was abnormally born. You know, he was not one of the 12, of course. He was, in fact, a persecutor of Christians. He was out to murder Christians, to eradicate Christianity from the earth. And so I think that's part of why he has such a spirit of humility. And that's what we see here. You know, here we see big-time humility. Here he is now a leader in the church, and he realizes who he is and where he is apart from Christ. And that is in bad, 
in a bad way, in a bad shape, uh, with no hope. And so I think that's just beautiful as we take a look at that and we see his heart there. How about verse 9? And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Uh, he's faithful. I mean, he is very, very faithful. In fact, as we look in verse 13 here, I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And uh, in the interest of time, we're not going to go back and take a look at all of the beatings that he's taken, the whippings, you know, the, the stonings. You know, he was, uh, I don't know, I've lost track. I don't know how many times it was that they, uh, that the Jews and Pharisees tried to murder him, but it was at least a few. And so he was faithful again to the point of serious, serious suffering on account of spreading the gospel of Christ. And uh, so I'd say he persevered. He was focused on his mission. He did not lose heart. He did not lose sight of his purpose. And how about verse 14? I mean, we just see here he says, uh, he says, I pray, right? I kneel before the Lord the Father from whom his whole family, uh, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth each earth derives its name, I pray, and then he goes on. So he's praying, he's praying for others. He has a soft heart, and yet it's a determined heart. It's an amazing combination of the two. And so if we just take a look, you know, if we start to want to start applying this to our own lives, if we were to summarize here some of the qualities of Paul, or his uh, character attributes here, we see that he's you know, a servant, prisoner of Christ, as we talked about. So I guess the question that we have to ask ourselves, uh, you and me, is who are we a servant to? Or what are we a servant to? Uh, last week we saw from Weston's artwork, uh, which was beautiful as well, you know, he talked about broken relationships. He talked about guilt. He talked about past hurts. He talked about insecurities talked about financial stress. We can add to that list, what about lust? What about envy? What are we servants to? What are we prisoners of? Are we prisoners of Christ? Are we servants of Christ? Or are we slave to something else in our life that's keeping us from being effective in our ministry? How about we know that saved by grace is the second thing I have here, saved by grace. You know, does our pride ever try to sneak in? That can happen if we are not careful. You know, we can do a great deed of service or something and our pride might slip in. It's like, oh, look at the neat thing that I did or whatever, oh, that was awesome, look what I did kind of thing. But really, it's just Christ working through us. We need to always fully understand that we are saved by grace and be wary of the devil's schemes as he tries to disrupt something beautiful and uh, that we might start turning, trying to turn the focus to ourselves opposed to outward and upward to Christ our Lord. Thanksgiving, do we, live, do we live each day with a thankful heart? It's amazing, but as we go forth in life, when we have a thankful heart, it just impacts everything we do. It impacts our demeanor, it impacts our relationships, you name it, a spirit of thankfulness is uh, just unbelievable, the impact that that can have in our lives. How about humility? And I always like to think of that verse from Luke of the Pharisee and the tax collector where the, tax, uh, the Pharisee is saying, oh, I'm glad they both go to the temple of God. And the Pharisee is saying, I'm glad I'm not like this you know, devious tax collector here. And the 
tax collector is off at the side beating his breast because he doesn't even have the heart to come before God because he recognizes he is unworthy to come before God. So which are we going to be? We know that, and from that passage, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So are we uh, living a life filled with pride, or are we living a life filled with absolute humility? Faithful. So we know that Paul is faithful to his call to service. I guess I have to ask, you know, all of us here, well, what do we feel the Lord calling us to do? What do we feel the Lord calling us to do? You know, is he asking us to possibly step out of our comfort zone? And frankly, we can't see God work in our lives until we do step out of our comfort zone. If we're living within our comfort zone at all times, what sort of faith is that when we're trying to control all situations? Uh, willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. You know, I have to stop and think, and it's kind of humbling. You know, what sacrifices am I making? You know, you take a look again at people who are dying for the sake of the gospel. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're called to suffer on account of Christ. And, hey, if we're not experiencing some sort of suffering along the way, well, perhaps we're not stepping out of the boat quite as far as we need to be, you know, stepping out of the boat with love, with humility, of course, because we don't want to have the opposite of the desired effect as we share Christ with others. But there's, bottom line is there's some sacrifice involved. We need to be willing to make sacrifices, whether it's, you know, time, finances, whatever it might happen to be, uh, relationships, speaking truth to people, and sometimes it's hard to speak truth to people. We need to be willing to step out of the boat. And faithful in prayer, and I thought maybe with that we just kind of dive right in um, as we take a look at kind of the second thing I'm hoping we tackle today is Paul's prayer from verses 16 through 21. You know, I can't help but to think, and uh, we looked at this before. Actually, Jerry had us looking at this, um, I don't know how long ago that was, three, four, five, six months ago or so. Maybe it was longer ago than that, to where I think it was specifically this prayer, and it was this prayer, that he was talking about the, his prayer for the church. And, you know, think about, you know, hey, how often do we pray for healing? You know, I was lying in bed the other morning and thinking, you know, gee, Lord, it would be nice if my back wasn't a little sore this morning, and it would be nice if my sinuses were a little clearer and everything else. And I'm thinking, boom, 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 slap myself in the face. Like, you know, is God really here just to make life easy for us? No. God is, God's purpose is not to make life easy for us. I know we would all love it if he did, but that's not his purpose. Um, I think it's fine that we pray for healing. I'm a, I'm a big, big advocate. You know, we can look at that again even from the example of Paul. Well, let's go back to Paul. Paul prayed for his own healing from 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, he reads, uh, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. And we don't know exactly what that was. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I'm just kind of amazed, like, he only prayed three times? <laughs> really? Wow. He only prayed three times for the Lord to take that away from him. Um, I think it's fine, by the way, to pray more often than that over something, because then we also have the example uh, that Jesus gives us in the parable of the persistent widow, if you remember that one, which where he's encouraging us to pray and to not give up. So, uh, you know, hey, I think it's fine that we pray, but then we also need to just at some point probably trust God's sovereignty in our lives, that his grace is sufficient for us. 
and that we need not be phased, uh, but that we can keep, uh, keep moving on. Uh, so if we take a look at his prayer, this is from verses uh, 16 through 21. And if you want to just kind of look at that with me, but I've gone ahead and I've summarized it. So instead of reading it again here, uh, I put a summarize up on the screen here. Just kind of four, four points that really stand out to me from this. Number one... <clears throat> Paul is praying for the church, the Ephesian church, <clears throat> which is a prayer we can be praying for others. Uh, this is a prayer, in essence, that's been prayed for us as well, for we are a part of the church, even though it was geared specifically for the Ephesians. It's applicable to the church at large. This is kind of a general letter. Another thing that's interesting about Ephes the book of Ephesians is a lot of the epistles of Paul were geared towards some sort of correction in the church or some sort of heresy that there was in the church. And so a lot of them were very specific to a particular church, which we can also use and apply to our lives to make sure that we're not falling into the same traps that, for example, the Corinthian church was falling into. Uh, but first of all, uh, he prayed that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit. He prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. He prays that you may comprehend and know the immeasurable love of Christ which in turn then will satisfy you fully. And we looked at some of these things earlier, obviously, as we were talking about this power that we have. But as we take a look at his prayer, this would be a good prayer for us as well to emulate as we pray for others as well. And again, he's so often his prayers. I love just going throughout scripture. Whenever you see a prayer in scripture, I love just kind of taking a look at it. Uh, this is similar, by the way, in chapter 1. Paul prayed for the Ephesian church as well in chapter 1. It's, there's so much that we can take away from that and, again, apply that also. And he's just praying, again, that their faiths would grow, that God would strengthen them, that they would fully comprehend the incredible depth of the love of Christ, and that that, in turn, then would satisfy them fully. And lastly, what I thought we'd take a look at here today was Paul's upward focus. Uh, I talked about how the word power recurs uh, numerous times in the book of Ephesians. Well, there's something else that occurs numerous times in the book of Ephesians, and that's the quote, in the heavenly realms. And in the heavenly realms occurs five times in the book of Ephesians, and in fact, it occurs just five times in the entire uh, Bible. I went ahead and a good old Bible gateway typed in in the heavenly realms, and it comes up five times, all of which occur in the book of Ephesians. <laughs> and so uh, one thing, though, about this that I think we need to be careful of is that, um, you know, we can be too focused, maybe on the future, we can be too focused on heaven and not be living in the here and now. You know, God's put us here. We're here for a reason. <laughs> and if we're just so focused on, you know, God, get me out of here, when you come in sort of thing, well, what sort of testimony is that going to be to others, right? <laughs> if it's like, uh, come, come quick. And yes, we all quite often want to say, come quick, Lord. But we know that his timing is right, our timing is not. And so that's one thing we need to be watchful of. But the five different places now where this uh, occurs is going all the way back to uh, chapter 1. 
and I have it all on the screen here for us. Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Again, here we're starting to see what I was talking about earlier about how you know, God is glorified through us. It's like, yes, it's for our benefit, but God's glorification. And the praise be to God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, he's blessed us, um, yes, in the heavenly realms, which is looking forward to something, you know, a non-earthly existence. And, you know, through, through the heavenly realms, he has blessed us uh, through Christ. Uh, but also, it's interesting, you know, it's not just something to be looking forward to. You know, I have come that I may have life and have it in abundance. There's, I've got that plus or minus right from one of the other passages in the New Testament. You know, our, uh, our eternal living is right now. It starts now. It's not just something to be looking forward to in the future. Uh, but our place is secure. Verse, uh, also from chapter 1, verse 20, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which is exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him as at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So here we are speaking about the heavenly realms and where God the Father dwells. And it's just a totally another world that we don't even see that we're going to talk a little bit more about in just a moment here. And so there's a, there's a lot that we don't see here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, from chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. How awesome is that? We have a place in heaven. Next up, we get to the verse that we're just looking at here, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I remember when I first, you know, when the first time you read that, it's like, what? You know, you think that, oh, well, we're going to be kind of, yes, we're witnesses and testimonies here walking the face of the earth. And yes, we're witnesses and uh, living testimonies of the grace of God to rulers and authorities even here in the earthly existence. But not only that, but God's glory and his plan that was hidden for so long is being revealed through us. Uh, being revealed to, revealed to rulers in the heavenly realms as well. It's not just, you know, it's not just people here on earth that are watching, but there's a heavenly realm that is witnessing what is going on also. And I can't help but to think what it must have been like in heaven when God the Father sent Jesus Christ his son to earth to be born in a manger. I mean, there had to be pandemonium. <laughs> it's like, what on earth are you doing? And it wasn't really until some time later that God's plan was revealed. And it's like, oh, that's what you're doing. But I can't even imagine uh, the head scratching that was happening in the heavenly realms with that. The demonic forces that there are that we're about to look at here, because there are demonic forces in the heavenly realms too, which is a little, a little sobering. Uh, in fact, let's go ahead and take a look. I mean, they probably thought, oh, we've got the upper hand. He's down there with sinful man. We got him now. You know, they probably thought that that was their victory and that was their defeat. Verse 6 through 12, you know, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this paints, uh, paints a different picture, I'd say, than what the world has of heaven and the heavenly realms. You know, what does the world think of when they think of heaven, you know, and angels? What do you got, you know? Little cherubs. You know, find me somewhere in the Bible where it describes an angel as being a baby with wings. <laughs> Somebody show me. <laughs> it's not there. We also have seraphim, which are something else altogether, which are pretty incredible as you read the descriptions of them. And I remember, uh, I mean, this is quite a while ago, uh, you know, sometime, I forget, there was some sort of advertising like 30, 40 years ago or something. They pictured heaven, you know, somebody just on a cloud with a harp, you know. That's not what heaven's like, guys, you know. Sometimes I wonder if it's, you know, that unlike just, you know, hey, there's relationships. There's, uh, uh, it's not just sitting out on an isolated cloud on an island somewhere. Let's contrast it. In fact, let's go to Daniel. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12. You guys are going to have to open your Bibles for this one. I did not put Daniel chapter 12 up on the screen here. Daniel 12, and we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 12. There we go. Yeah, these were, uh, is that where I was looking? Da, 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 da. Okay, this, this stand is not holding this thing steady. If I'm going to be able to read this, I better hold my Bible here. Now, this was actually not what I was looking for. I apologize. Bear uh, with me one second. How about chapter 10? Let's try chapter 10 instead. There we go. That's much better. And I don't think I'm going to read all of this. I'm looking at verses 1 through 12. Daniel's prophetic panorama, Daniel's vision. I'll just read the... Uh, where do we want to pick this up? Daniel was fasting. He was mourning. Chapter 2. Chap, uh, uh, not chapter 2, verse 2. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, 
his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Is that what this picture looks like here up on the screen? I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the, first time, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me uh, 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. You see, there is a spiritual battle, there's warfare going on even in heaven, amazingly enough. Talks about being delayed, being in battle, and this particular angel has had Michael come and help him to deal with that battle. Uh, we can take a look at Revelation chapter 12, uh, verses 7 through 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth, and his angels with him. So there is a spiritual battle going on, ladies and gentlemen, and we're a part of it. And we're a part of it. And our, our attitude should be the same as Paul's. And we can learn so much from him. And again, like I said, we don't want to be, you know, just uh, focused so far forward that we're not capturing the here and now. And uh, hit the wrong clicker here, but let's take a look instead at Paul's approach to his ministry. And this is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. This is going to be useful, by the way. You know, we're about to look at Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and we're going to look at all this stuff, and it's going to be like, you know, God, I'm having a hard time reaching the level that we're called to be. And that could get a little discouraging. Well, guess what? What does Paul say? Not that I have already obtained all this, or I've already been made perfect. <laughs> but what does he do? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen? He is not living in the past. He is not living in the future. He is living in the here and now. He is living in the moment but with an understanding of the future and with his focus set much further downfield, with his focus set on the eternal. So may we live in the moment as well and not be living in the past. Let's pray.
Uh, Lord, we are in awe of you. We stand in awe of you. Lord, what an incredible and glorious plan you set into motion when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to pay the penalty for our sin. I just can't even imagine the uproar that there was in the heavenly realms when you did that. And Lord, but your wisdom was revealed, your sovereignty was revealed, your glory was revealed, your mercy was revealed, your faithfulness to your creation was revealed. And Lord, we give all the glory to you. We just pray that we would uh, honor you with our lives. Just pray that we would honor you and be bold witnesses of your glory, for your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.